So, uh, Mother's Day, it's a, you know, a celebration uh, that finds solid support in biblical principles and commands. It's not, it's not something, you know, there are many holidays that we celebrate, and you're just kind of like, you know, why, why are we doing this? What is, what is this all about? What does this have to do with my faith? You know, we all appreciate a day off every now and then, but, you know, how much, you know, substance is actually to it? Motherhood is one of those that, you know, really does have its whole foundation in the Word of God. Um, you know, the culture of broken homes and broken families, uh, we're in a fluctuation right now. Uh, the statistic rises as high as almost 55% of marriages ending in divorce. You know, we, we drop down as low as 49%, depending on, you know, what year, what month, how things are moving on. On average, we're, we're running about 51% all the time. More than half of all marriages end in divorce. You know, uh, broken homes, fatherless children, you know, that you have to look at the crime statistics and just see what goes on in a home that's been shattered, in a home that's been broken. You know, statistically speaking, half of us in this room know exactly what we're talking about. We've, we've been through it. We've experienced it. Statistically speaking, in Maine, more than half of us in this room have been through it. It's a very, very difficult thing. Homes, family, what it is the Lord would have of us. Now, I'm going to touch on it again. This is a, a difficult subject for uh, people because in it you you have all of the cultural aspects of what's going on. You know, uh, this week, you know, the uh, states that are you know considering what they're calling you know these heartbeat uh, bills, where you know if there's a heartbeat, they're going to preserve the life of the child. All these different things, and uh, you know this young woman in Hollywood. You know, who we've grown up seeing is now, you know, protesting, saying that, you know, women should band together with her and have a sex strike where they're not going to have sex and until they get rid of those bills, to which I'm saying, that's actually what we want you to do. You know, this you're proving our point, you know, and, and on top of that, you know, we'd rather you personally weren't reproducing people who thought like you. So, you know, keep up the work type of attitude. The culture's lost its ever-loving mind about what's right, what's wrong, what it is, you know, that's truth and holy and good. Life, motherhood, this is a thing God established and to mess with it. He has a lot to say throughout it. You know, another aspect of this is there are two portions of, you know, the female populace, that this is a day that pains their heart. They want to be married. They want to have children. There are those who you know, are married and are unable to have children, and that's difficult for them. The thing I want to encourage us with is we can be parents to the world, to the world. Um, you know, you'll have those special relationships, which we'll examine, which you can have one-on-one -on -one time with as a mother, that you can work in somebody's life. Paul specifically addresses it, and we're going to read that in his own life, those that were a mother to him, that weren't his birth mother. Uh, there's that. You can, you can be a parent in guidance everywhere. You, you know, you can just be at the grocery store, you know, 
at the checkout line and and see something uh, that you can insert a loving hand, a thoughtful you know message, some kindness or help there. Listen, you know the culture isn't doing that in mass, are they? You know, there's a cruelty, there's a heartlessness, there's a selfishness that permeates our culture that is very much not the nurturing of a mother. We can extend that. You know, having been raised by a widow, I have a heart for those who are single moms. I have a heart for those who I see struggling. You know, I I remember years ago, I see a young man and he's pushing the stroller. He's got a young woman next to him. And you can tell he's got a determined on his face, a determination on his face that he's going to do this job. And he wants to do this job, but you can just the whole picture just screams that the world is against him. And I stopped him and said, "Hey, you're doing a good job." And he had that look like, "What in the world are you talking about?" And I pointed to the stroller and to the young woman. I said, this, right here. I said, you think about how many people your age thrust into circumstances like this would be running away from it. I said, this is a noble thing you're doing to be here. I don't even know if they're married. But he's there involved with that family, with that child, parenting. You know, to be there and those lessons we've learned, the things we've been taught, you know, our moms have handed down to us, hand them on. Be that voice in the culture. This statement the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. That's our culture. This is what we're called to do, salt and light. We're called to preserve and protect and provide and illuminate our culture. Be encouraged. Take the opportunity to do that. You know, along this line, I mentioned it a moment ago, there's a statement in Romans 16, verse 13. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul said, greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. You know, in, in the absence of a mother figure in Paul's life, and this is a man, you know, who's grown. He's in the process of writing one third of the New Testament, and he finds someone working in his life who is as a mother to him. You know, I mean, he's probably, you know, sort of developed that attitude like, do you know who I am? You know, I've, I've rebuked Peter when he was off track spiritually. I'm, I'm in the process of writing one-third of the New Testament. And along comes Rufus's mom and says, so what? Have a seat, eat some dinner, be quiet. She's mothering him. She's caring for him. You know, prominent figure sort of obscured. Because when we read that there was that certain man, Simon the Cyrene, who was in Jerusalem, who they forced to carry Jesus' cross up the hill. There, Matthew includes that Simon the Cyrene, Rufus's father. Right? I mean, that should stand out to us as students of the Scripture. Like, 
who the heck is Rufus? The church knew who Rufus was, and here Paul mentions him. Later, in the book of Acts, they refer to those that were prophets amongst them as they were sending out Barnabas and Saul, who would become known as you know Paul, and Rufus and Simon the Cyrene are mentioned there again. You know, obscure, prominent figures within the Scripture. Paul's been adopted into their family as a son, and they care for him. There are all kinds of opportunities for us. Look, look for those opportunities. Our own selfishness will keep us from even looking for those opportunities. Oh, here they come again. They're coming over for dinner. Why do they always come over? Why do we have to take that opportunity, embrace that opportunity, and do what you can to minister to people? It's interesting how the Lord works and the family that he creates for each one of us. Now, when it comes to the Bible's most well-known passage on love, uh, mothers are a beautiful example of the high calling of that love it describes. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I think I know where he's going, and that wasn't my mom. The fact that you can sit here and say, I know that's not what my mother demonstrated, is an indication to you that you know what she should have demonstrated. That parenting and mothering should encompass 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Now, I don't know about you, but I learned long ago that I misunderstood that opening statement. Love suffers long. Because for me, love in me put up with things for a long time and then blew its stack. Lost its mind, got very angry. That's not what this says at all. It says love suffers long and is kind. That's, that's what mothers very often do. Everyone else around is thinking, why don't you please just administer you know the board of education to the seat of understanding please and yet the mother will still endure and love and be kind in the process this example of what mothering should be and could be suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil, right? How many times have we been around parents where you know that kid is wrong? And they question that kid, and they're like, no, um, you've just misunderstood. And you're thinking, no, you're allowing the wool to be pulled over your eyes. That's because they're parents, they're mothers. They're going to do they love. They truly have this sense of love. And so, you know, in their eyes, their child really has done nothing wrong. It isn't a matter of their being naive. They, they are demonstrating love. Now, moms, try not to be so naive. But at the same time, at the same time, thank you for loving us. Thank you for truly having this character about your person that thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, even though the children may be reveling in it. They don't take any joy in it, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Yes, they do. Believes all things. Yes, they do. Hope 
all things. Yes, they do. Endures all things. Yes. Mothers never fail. Love never fails. They're truly there. Even in their weakness and their shortcomings, they come around in the end. Love compels them. It's the motivation of their heart. Many of us have been corrected by our mothers with the following verse or something like it. Philippians chapter 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about these things. You know, the way mothers try to pull their children away from the bad thoughts and the bad processes. Why are you getting involved with them? Why are you hanging out with them? Why are you watching that? Why are you playing that? The corrections that come. This, think about this, you guys. Our culture and the need, right? If we could insert one of these moms into every one of these lives that's so messed up, how different the world would be. How different the world would be. Many young women don't know how to be a mother like this. So, you know, we, we suffer. The, the culture suffers, goes through these sorts of things. The salt and light of the Christian in the world around us. This statement, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You know, when we read, that's the first commandment with a promise. If, if, if you're sitting here now thinking, well, this is, I'll just endure this Mother's Day message. I'm not really interested in this, but, you know, there's probably one or two things I could hear this, you guys. This statement about honoring parents, honoring our mother and our father, when the Lord said you'll live long on the earth, you know, some of us have sort of like dismissed that thinking, nah, I know people that were well behaved and, you know, they didn't live that long. So I don't know if I entirely, you might not ever say it out loud, but you might have that in the back of your mind. Like, I don't know if I entirely agree with that. This, this is an entirely different thing than what it sounds like. Okay. I'm not reinterpreting the scripture. I'm not making something that isn't here. When he says that you may live long on the earth, it was literally the Lord saying to the nation of Israel that you may live long in the land. Right? They had been slaves and been brought into the land of Israel. Right? And most of us that have studied that know the Lord says, you're going to want to follow me. I'm paraphrasing if you haven't figured that out. If you don't follow me, I'm going to drive you out of the land. This is my land. It's not your land, he's saying to the nation of Israel about the land they live in. I'm giving you the blessing. I'm giving you the opportunity to live in this land. If you follow me in such a way that it creates an obedience in your heart that would cause you to honor your father and your mother, then I'll let you live in the land for a long time. If you do not, then everything I described as curses will come upon you and I'll drive you out of the land. Just like I'm driving the Canaanites out of the land by bringing you in right now, I'll bring them back and I'll drive you out. And that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? We see what's going on right now in our culture and in our country, right? 
people are like, oh, no, you know, the migrant invasion. We're going to have so many, you know, you know what would stem that time? If the people would repent and the people would honor their mother and fathers, he wouldn't bring them in here to drive us out. We are a people, we are a people who bear the name of God, the same as Israel. Christians, right? That's his name. That's his title. Christ, the anointed one. It is the abandonment of Jesus Christ that is bringing all this hardship upon us. The answer, unfortunately, is inside these four walls of the church. It's not out there with the construction of a new wall. Right? The separation of church and state, Thomas Jefferson is the one who addressed that to the Baptist brothers who had written him and said, are you going to create a government that's going to demand of us that we either not worship or that we worship in a specific way? And he quoted their minister who had written a series of sermons called the Garden of God. It's not in the Constitution the wall of separation between church and state, it's nowhere in the Constitution. It was in a Baptist minister's sermon. And Jefferson said, I agree that the church is a garden of God and that the Lord has constructed a great wall of separation between the church and the state. And when the church falls into sin, God tears down the wall and allows the state in and its influences to bring repentance to the hearts of the people that when they would return to the Lord, he would rebuild the great wall of separation and the flourishing of the garden. Oh, think of what a different picture that paints. I hate to say it this way, brothers and sisters, but the deterioration of our culture is our fault. Not the culture's fault. It's the lack of work from the church, spreading of the gospel, sharing God's word, more than anything, living it out. Being moms in the culture, being fathers, being children of God to the world around us. We've brought this on the world. Right? You know, sort of thing like we're the ones that are carrying the disease, spreading it to everyone else. How unfortunate. You know, everybody's getting sick and we sit inside the church and point the finger about their illness. Their illness is the church's responsibility. We're the immunity that has lost its capability. Oh, that we would repent and see that work happen again. Psalm 128, verse 1 through 6. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it should be well with you. Yes, you will see your children's children. I have the opportunity as a tour guide to Acadia National Park to make a lot of relationships, talk to a lot of people. And uh, very often uh, people will say, you're married? Yes. Have children? Yes. Have grandchildren? They're like, you've got to be kidding me. How old are you? I tell them, 50 years old. You know, one, they don't think I'm that old. Two, they're surprised my wife and I are still together and that our grandkids are right here with us. 
And then they started this whole thing, which commonly people do about like, good job, well done. You know, they talk like it's my responsibility. I said, look, you know, I've done everything I could to destroy it. The reason it's good, the reason it's preserved is Christ. I can't take any credit for this. I've done everything I could to sabotage. You know, through my sinfulness, through my being, it's been Christ who's preserved. It's been his Holy Spirit that's kept it. To God be the glory, not me. You know, may he receive the praises. If, if we will follow the Lord, fear the Lord. That's how we're going to see these things in our lives. You know, I, I love these ministries and these brothers that are all about family. And they're, they're all about teaching people how to be good families and be good moms and be good dads. And, you know, wonderful, great stuff. Read it, you know, learn. But in the end, it's not a work you can perform on your own. It has to be accomplished by the Holy Spirit through us. Of course, we have already read Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of of the womb is a reward, not according to some politicians. I don't know if you're aware of this, and I'm doing it for the shock value. There is a movement within the American Medical Association to classify children as non-human until the age of three years old. They literally refer to it as post-birth abortions. They're literally saying we need to shift the culture's mindset and allow for parents and families to get rid of their children up to the age of three years old. Medical professionals, doctors, PhD, right? That should really tell you how murderous the mindset is. You know, it's inside the womb, so out of sight, out of mind. You know, the question of, you know, where does life begin? You know, I'll just be clear. The scripture tells us it happens before conception, in case you were wondering. Before conception, right? He named Jeremiah before he was in the womb. He, he named Cyrus, his servant, 150 years before he was born. Okay? Cyrus wasn't even a believer, but he served God by conquering Babylon. And when he entered Babylon as the invading army, the Jewish scholars brought him the word of God and said, look at this, your name recorded by the Lord 150 years before you were born. That is the thing that caused him to, as the new king, say to the entire nation of Israel, these people will be set free and allowed to return to their homeland. Seventy years of captivity ended because of God's word about that man being born and being his servant. Life doesn't begin at conception. It doesn't begin at heartbeat. It doesn't begin at brain activity. God mandates life. The wickedness of Lucifer himself has penetrated the hearts and minds of the people of our culture, and I'll draw your attention to it one more time, we are the ones who hold the cure for that. God's Word, delivering it to them wherever possible. This classic passage on motherhood praises God, the giver of children, describes them as a heritage and a reward 
from heaven. You know, politician this week, you know, saying, what does it matter? We kill them in the womb or we kill them after they're born. What does it matter? I mean, you start saying something like that about politicians and probably the Secret Service is going to come have a conversation with you. What does it matter, you know, if we kill these politicians before they're born or while they're in office? Oh, people would have a fit at that point, and rightfully so, because you're talking about murder. It's wrong. Life, the fruit of the womb, it's a reward. Isaiah 49, 15, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Not when she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Not when she's walking with the Lord. Our sinful culture can. You know, there was a time where in law enforcement in this nation, not that long ago, when bad things happened to children, they automatically, without question, looked to the men surrounding that child's life. Never the women. Never. Wouldn't happen. Now, all too commonplace. The love, the care, the nurturing is being lost. We will continue to sink lower and deeper if we do not return to the Lord. Psalm 139.13 For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. God was involved in the process even as conception was occurring and bringing that life into this world. The miracle, the miracle of the role of mother. It's an amazing thing. Isaiah 66.13 As one who is a mother comforts, so I will comfort you. God, God identifies his character with that of a mother. The nurturing, the caring, and the loving of a mother. You know, so very often, you know, we have here and have this mentality, you know, God is hard and harsh and cold and brutal, and that's not his character at all. As he weeps over Jerusalem, and Jesus says, Oh, I just wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings to keep them warm, to protect them from danger. That's the heart of God that comes from God. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 says, For whoever you, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Again, back to those relationships in how we have a family in the body of Christ that is beyond the birth family we have in this world. Certainly need to, you know, honor, as we've talked about, and bless and encourage and be involved with and grow in the relationships with our earthly parents. But, you know, there are many people that I've experienced over the years who that whole earthly dynamic is so sinful that they've found their family in the church and it's completely replaced their earthly family. They have the strongest bonds and relationships with the body of Christ. You know, this was Ruth saying to Naomi, you're, you're leaving our country, you're going back to your homeland. I'm leaving my people and my God. The false gods I've followed, I'm done with them. I'm going to come follow you. And she, of course, finds Boaz, an incredible picture of Jesus Christ, and becomes the wife of Boaz and becomes 
one of the grandmothers of Jesus. The family lineage comes through that Moabitess to bring us salvation. Oh, how grateful we are for so many that were unacceptable who've been brought into the body of Christ and become mothers and wives and sisters and daughters to the body of Christ. The great blessing that the Lord does in these works. Of course, Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And I would encourage you to go to Luke 1 on your own and read this entire prayer that Mary gives. She references the Old Testament dozens of times in a very short prayer as she magnifies the Lord. It's referred to as the Magnificat. She's, she's magnifying God for His work. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. What would we have done without Mary? The mother of Jesus, right? Bringing him into the world, caring for him, you know, following the leading of the angel and her husband and fleeing into Egypt and rearing him and raising him and bringing us this source of salvation. How, how incredible that God would ever and trust himself to infancy and the care of a teenage girl. Remarkable. Remarkable. You know, I, I uh, <laughs> a number of years ago, you know, when our daughters were young, I hired teenage girls to care for our daughters, and we'd go out for an evening and, you know, come home. And There were a couple of occasions where we returned home and went, well, we'll never hire that one again. You know, bonfire in the living room. and you know, just... There are certain young women you would not entrust the Savior of the world to. There is this one who knows the Old Testament with near perfection. And her heart is surrendered to the Lord. She's lowly. And at this point when she's making this prayer, she's thought to either be a profound liar or a young woman who's lost her mind. She's pregnant, and she's insisting, I have never been with a man, and yet I'm with child. And everybody's like, yeah, okay. And she holds her ground, and she stays the course. And as the scripture says, and she stored all of these things up in her heart. Thank God she did, because when she sits with Luke to interview, she pours them all out, and they are recorded on the pages for us. The faithfulness of a young life like Mary the encouragement, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, New Living Translation says, Treat older women as you would your mother. In describing the life of the church, Paul told Pastor Timothy to treat women with the warm encouragement that he would show his own mother. You know, that, that should be the conduct of the church. This, this role is so venerated throughout the Scripture. I'll read you this one, John chapter 19, verse 25. This is a simple sermon for me to preach. Because all i got to do is just collect a whole bunch of passages from the Scripture and let the Word of God say what you don't... I mean, if you think about what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm really giving very little commentary here. It's just delivering the Word of God. You know, give you a little textual understanding of where it's coming from or what it's saying. But it's the Word of God saying all of these things about motherhood. Again. Again, fathers and mothers' roles are so profoundly under attack in our culture. 
support them, encourage them. John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. That's Jesus transferring the responsibility and the authority over his mother to John. When the husband passed away, the protection, the provision, the honor, and the uh, care for the wife, for the mother, went to the eldest son. He was now responsible for his mother and to see her well-being taken care of. He's now passing away as the eldest son, and rather than even handing that responsibility to one of his own siblings, he hands it to John, who's standing right there, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I wonder if perhaps that had something to do with the length of John's days. The eldest of all of the apostles, the youngest under Jesus' tutelage and care, and as they were all martyred and passed away, and they even tried to kill John, he continued on in the process he was the oldest by the time you come to the end of his life they were all dead he's the only remaining one and they referred to him as the elder because he was the only one left the elder of the church given the care of mary then he said to the disciple behold your mother and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home cared for in his own house that demonstration, the care of mothers, lesson to treat our mothers well. I've only got 16 more pages and three more hours to cover, so we're almost there. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. These in the days, Zacharias, his wife, was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless often overlooked passage in Luke provides the picture of a godly woman. She had no children of her own, and she looked forward to seeing the child Jesus. Her heart and mind was set on the blessing that someone else was going to receive in their life. She was paying attention. Of course, she ends up being the mother of John the Baptist, but you know, in the process, this idea of you know, caring for uh, uh, Jesus and uh, his arrival. Uh, Psalm 113, verse 9, he grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. You know, Praise the Lord, he does that. A woman might not be married, as we said earlier, might, might not actually have children of her own, and yet within the family of God, within the body of Christ, the Lord makes that provision for them and gives them that fulfillment here. I, I watch the faces of women uh, in this church and, you know, the, the single women and some of the, you know, uh, women whose children are grown and gone or those who never have children. These little faces light them right up just to spend time with them, just to talk with them. You know, the, these, these kids know no boundaries, right? They'll walk right up and just strike up a conversation, start talking about what you know, you need to now be thinking about their world. A wonderful thing, the way that they do that, the way that they love us, encouraging us to love them 
in the way that we should. Just a few more passages. I said hours, but you know, just a couple more statements. Obviously, we had already talked about Exodus 20, verse 12, you know, honoring father and mother, your days will be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded, is in you also. Um, I've been reared in the scripture. You know, I, I from my earliest memories, uh, we were going to church. Um, I can remember occasions we were living on Jackson Street in uh, uh, well, Essex Junction, Vermont. And um, I can remember walking to uh, the bowling alley with my father and my mother because it was uh, our church's youth group night. And, uh, you know, my father was you know, sure to be there and my mom was sure to be there and to be an example. And Grace, I can remember, you know, Sunday school in those days. My father passed away and I can remember being at Rumney Bible Conference there all summer, the Word of God, every day, every every day of the week. Where, and I'm talking like in Sunday school, in classes, you know, being taught, constantly growing, constantly being instructed in the Word of God, ever present in my life. You know, the stupidity of my teen years and the departure from it, and then Jesus Christ meeting me and proving to me, no, this isn't just stories. This isn't just somebody else's belief system. I'm real, and you need to surrender your life to me, and I did. Now, that was 1989, and that began the, the teaching and the learning process that brings me to this pulpit. You know, as my grandmother passed away, my father's mother, we had that awkward moment because he had passed away, and so his inheritance was supposed to go to me and my brothers. You know, the family is kind of asking, like, so, you know, like, what do you want? <laughs> and I said, is my grandmother's Bible available? And they were like, yes, that's all I want. And when her son my father's brother passed away. Arnold, what, what am I, is his Bible available? I ended up getting his Halley's handbook on the Bible and his concordance and his Bible. The heritage of faith. You know, Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel. He had a sibling that was very sick and dying. And his mother grabbed that child up and ran to the church. Uh, just a short distance away, grabbed the pastor and said, child's dying, you need to pray. And they poured their hearts out to the Lord. And in the midst of that prayer, she dedicated Chuck, her other child's life, to the Lord. If you'll spare this one, I'll give you Chuck. And no claim on him at all. Growing up, he had the intentions of being a surgeon. He was a very serious student. When you hear Chuck preach, he often talks about all these medical aspects, human body and creation. That's because of his studies. And the Lord took him and said, no, you're going to be this minister. He learned to read from his mother from the King James Bible. As a little, little boy. His account was younger than five. 
she taught him how to read from the Bible. And she would make him sit for hours and just read the Bible to her. He later learned that she didn't even read well enough to read it to him. But she had truly dedicated him to the Lord. 1997, I was in Maryland. And Chuck was teaching us at a pastor's conference from the book of Corinthians. And he asked us to turn to a particular chapter and he started reading. And I'm in the front row and I'm reading along and I look up at Chuck and he is not looking at his Bible. And he quotes the remainder of the chapter looking out at the room. His Bible's right here, but he's not looking at it. It's that permeated in his heart and in his mind. Paul is saying to this young pastor, Timothy, I, re I want to re remind you, I want to call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and am persuaded is in you also. The heritage of faith, mothers, there's no greater thing. No greater thing to hand on to your children and your grandchildren. And look, it's not just going to affect them. It may not create a worldwide movement of Calvary Chapel. It may only affect one or two. But souls saved, right? If you get to spend eternity with one person that your life has kept from the fires of hell, the reward's big enough at that point, isn't it? Someone's life changed by our life. This heritage, family, the family of God, parenting, fatherhood, motherhood. This is a day to remember that. This is a day to think about that. To let the Lord work in your heart and mind. If you're sitting there down right now thinking, right, but the people I'm thinking don't have any relationship with the Lord. You're here and you have access to them. Deliver this faith to them. Let their life be changed and let the world be transformed as a result. Amen? The importance, the importance of these people, these individuals, these relationships. Let that sink into your heart and mind. Well, let's stand and we'll pray and we'll stay and fellowship for a while. Father, I thank you very much for your great work, your great love. Pray, Lord, that you would have said to us what it was we needed to hear this morning. Lord, we recognize it may not be about our own mother. It may not be about even so much parenting. There might be an individual, something you're saying to us, Lord. I pray your message to our individual heart would be very clear, like the message of a mother to a child, the tenderness, the nurturing that is you, that you've instilled in these dear women. Perform your work. Use us as your children. Build your family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.